Welcome to Pragmatic. Pragmatic is a discussion show contemplating the practical application of technology. By exploring the real-world trade-offs, we look at how great ideas are transformed into products and services that can change our lives. Nothing is as simple as it seems. Pragmatic is part of the Engineered Network. To support our shows, including this one, head over to our Patreon page, and for our other great shows, visit theengineered.network today. I'm your host, Big Hudson, and I'm joined today by John Chigi. How are you, John? I am fantastic. And how are you doing? I'm good. Excellent. So here's the thing. This is an episode. Here's the thing. <laughs> this is an episode with a subtle twist. Perhaps it's not so subtle because you did the intro read. That this episode is all about you, Vic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're not if you're not uncomfortable yet, I'm sure we can arrange that. So how we, let's see how we go. One of the things. Right. <laughs> one of the things that. It's been a pleasure to to watch over the last few years. Um, is as you've dipped your toe into code development, and mm-hmm. I've sort of seen you um, tinker, tinker, and I think start and abandon many projects. <laughs> yeah, a bit of that as well. But I've I've also seen a genuine passion. I see the podcasts that you listen to of when you post about them and. Yeah, and I know you well enough to know that you're pouring a lot of your time, your personal time and effort uh, into uh, programming, learning programming and 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 doing it. And mm-hmm. I think that it's awesome. It's I think it's wonderful. And I think that it's it's the sort of thing that I guess we need to... Well, I want to start at the beginning and explore your your journey with programming. And why I think it's a good topic is that I think it's illustrative that programming can be for i think for anybody if they have a, mm-hmm. if they have a passion so yeah with that as our with that with that as our premise let's start with the with your story as it okay. were okay so what was the first computer program that you ever wrote that you can remember um that would probably be a line 10 print hello line 20 go to 10 <laughs> Awesome. So, what kind of that was obviously that's basic, but um, what as in the language basic beginners all purpose symbolic instruction code, I think it stands mm-hmm. for. Um, what, what kind of a machine was that on? Uh, that would have either been it was either an Apple II or an Atari. I think they were 800 XL. Does that sound right? Think so, yeah. I wasn't a big yeah. uh, Atari guy. Those, those were the two machines that we had at, at school when I was in elementary school, and and we kind of floated back and forth between the two of them, just just tooling around with BASIC, and had some stuff that we loaded off of floppy drives and cassette drives and things like that. Nice. All right. Cool. Or maybe no, actually, it was the Apple II is what we had at school. We only had like two of them for the whole class and so you didn't get to spend a lot of time on it but uh that that's actually where i got my first exposure to it and about six months maybe to a year later my dad actually got interested in in computers and programming and he bought an atari computer that you just hooked up you know through the through the tv set tv yeah 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 
Awesome. Same kind of little adapter that like the uh, Atari game console had that, that plugged into it. And it was a, a lovely little green 8-bit display. <laughs> yes, I remember them. Monochrome all the I way. I think it was green. It was definitely monochrome. I saw- Big block letters, not very easy to read. But uh, and he bought a bunch of basic programming books and stuff, and and we would type up programs and stuff into it, and uh, we had a cassette drive that you could save stuff to. Oh yeah, I have one of those. And in it my made Big all 20. kinds of fun fifty-six k dial-up modem type noises when you played it back in a regular cassette player. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember that. Yeah, I remember getting tapes mixed up from time to time. <laughs> yeah, I've actually heard that that back in the day that a lot of people like in in Europe and stuff they used to bootleg software because they would broadcast that over the radio and then record it on cassettes. Well, that's interesting. I hadn't heard that one. I don't know if it's true or not. I don't know if it would really work or not. It seems like it should, as long as the audio signal's clean enough that they get a clean recording of it. I'd say on FM that that would probably mm-hmm. work, but on AM, I doubt it very much. But still, it's a, that's a fascinating idea, actually. But I have heard anecdotes about it. <laughs> well, that's cool. All right, fair enough. Okay, so so those are the early years. And mm-hmm. I think then you had a bit of a break and um, you didn't do too much, too many programming until your, shall we say, middle-aged years. Is that accurate? Yeah, I, I, played, I played with uh, with basic programming and stuff like that. We threw the, the Apple II at school and then mainly more afterward uh, on the Atari at home and then dad eventually went through like a Commodore 128 and something else I can't remember but yeah somewhere around my teenage years I I made several bad life decisions and and got distracted from the computers and programming for quite a while actually and I didn't return to them till later on in my my adult life so as I remember the timeline roughly it was uh, about your mid-30s I think it was when you got uh, had a resurgence in programming. Is that and right? I was like mid to late twenties. Oh, mid to late twenties. Okay, sorry. Yeah. All right, cool. So when you did get back into programming in your um in your late twenties, um, mm-hmm. what what languages were you um diving into at that point? Because that would have been before. Uh, well, objective. I don't know if it's really fair to call it programming at that point because I, I started getting back into computers and and I was like playing with HTML and some JavaScript and stuff like that. And I, I played with that for a couple of years and was more really a computer user than anything. But then I decided that I wanted to make like better web pages and stuff. And so I started dabbling with uh, server-side stuff. And, and I installed like a local copy of Apache and PHP and MySQL and started learning about making dynamic websites and stuff like that. Um, my crowning achievement back in those days was I had a pretty sophisticated PHP and MySQL-driven my like a personal version of IMDB and I I set that project up mainly more than anything simply because I wanted to learn about uh, relational data mapping and how how you do relational databases and things like that and I also had a a pretty extensive video collection and people are always like what kind of movies have you got and I thought it would be nice if I had something that you could just kind of browse through them with cool that's really awesome. All right. Awesome. Yeah. So, so you did that for Never a few published years. anywhere. <laughs> but it was, it was a great learning project. And then after that, um, I started dabbling a little bit in C++ just in my spare time. And then I went to uh, college for a little while, worked on a computer science degree. 
uh, about two years, but I was, I was later in life and I had a lot of external commitments outside of school and a, a full-time job that was actually more than a full-time job. We do a lot of overtime and stuff. And it was pretty hard to, uh, to manage that. And like my computer science grades and all were always really good. And I tended to lead the curve in most of those classes in the major core classes, but I was having trouble finding the passion and interest for a lot of the other stuff. And like in my second or third year, I, I'm, I'm out on extended sabbatical, and I still haven't managed to get back yet. But I, I do hope to one day get back and try and finish up that computer science degree because it, it would mean a lot to me to have that. So, okay. So, what? when did you um, take a break from, from the degree? How long ago? About, is that about uh, six, seven years? Or? Three or four years, maybe. Maybe a little longer than that. I've been out of school. Okay. All right, cool. So, that's really I not think, that yeah. long. Mm -mm. No, we primarily were working in C plus plus when I was there, and that, okay. that's what we were working in. And they were just starting to transition to Java as I was leaving. Maybe that was part of the motivation to get out. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably that's probably not a fair jab at Java, but uh, they were just starting to transition everything to that because it was it was. From what I understand, I don't know. I bailed on it really early, and and. I didn't have a lot of interest in learning Java. At the time, I actually kind of liked what I knew of C++, and I was pretty interested in it. But they said they were switching to uh, Java because, you know, it's really purely object-oriented, and I think C++ just kind of bolted object-oriented design onto C. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty accurate way of putting it. Yeah. So, okay. At, um, so when you were doing... Uh, so because you've done a lot of C++, uh, C++ then... Objective C, which has a lot of common typing and uh, mm -hmm. and structures uh, to C plus plus in 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 many yeah. ways, I uh, I guess that was a relatively natural fit then at a flow on from that to get into iOS development. Uh yeah, yes and no. It was like it definitely looks somewhat familiar when you come from C plus plus to Objective C, but like the brackets. That was that was a curveball. <laughs> yeah, um, true. I, that's that's always a curveball, you know, when people come to Objective C from from other more traditional looking C languages. And I mean, Objective C does look very C in a lot of ways, but some things from it stand out in stark contrast, like the brackets and the the spacing, you know, with objects on the right and arguments and methods on the left and stuff like that. And then you get into to nested bracketed calls and things like that, and that gets kind of messy. As people get clever and try and really just crunch them down instead of, you know, you know, I'm sure you've looked at enough of it to tell. Oh yeah, and it's always difficult to describe in words, yeah. you know, how how code looks visually. But I know exactly mm -hmm. what you mean, and I'm sure a yeah. lot of the programmers, listeners that are programmers, would understand. But ultimately, um, I suppose what you've done described up until now is. A bunch of, like, say, you've done some little side projects that for mm -hmm. yourself in PHP and MySQL, and you uh, you were two thirds of the way through um, uh, a course, and essentially focusing on C plus plus objective oriented programming. What was it that drew you into doing um, your first app on iOS? That that I guess. What was the first app that you did? Oh, that was more or less just because I fell in love with my iPhone and, and some of the apps that were there, and I just I really wanted to to make those. 
Okay, cool. So what? So what was? And the I name started the first out. Day? I didn't actually jump directly into Objective C and making native apps at the time. I didn't have a Mac. I was still on Windows, and and there was some cost barrier to Mac, and there was also some old foolish Windows beliefs that. Mac was all locked down and restrictive and you can't do any of the things that you want to do. You know, all the typical stuff that most people have never been exposed to a Mac believe about Macs before they get into it. And uh, so I started out with just playing with like making uh, dynamic web designs that were like made to look and and act and, and feel like native iPhone apps, even though they weren't really native code. You know, it was just a... The iPhone had this ability that you could, it still has it, but most people don't use it. You could save a, a bookmark to your home screen like an icon. Yep. And you could do some clever things with some metadata tags and some JavaScript so you can make it really look and feel kind of like a native app. Oh, yeah. There was a, a framework that was popular at the time. Uh, it was written in JavaScript and it was made by a, what's that guy's name? Joe, uh, Joe Hewitt, I want to say, although I might have the name wrong. He worked at Facebook for a while, and he worked at Netscape, and, and he did some work on Firefox. Uh, the The framework was called IUI, and I don't know if it still got that name. At the time, it was on a Mercurial, I think, or I can't remember what source control it was on. I think it's actually on GitHub now, if it's still in development. I'm not sure. I haven't even looked at it in a long time. But uh, I played with that a lot and, and played with it, and it was basically just a... Uh, a JavaScript framework, so you could you could set up your little HTML iPhone app, and it would be you could do it two ways. You could put all or most of it all in one giant HTML file, and especially if it didn't need to be dynamic at all, then you could just throw it all into one HTML file, and you could actually save it to your iPhone's home screen, and then it would always run, and it was pretty fast and pretty responsive. Or if you needed some server side stuff, then it could load page fragments just html chunks from ajax okay and it would slide those in just like a navigation stack on an iphone app sure okay and uh, i made an extension for it and contributed it way back in the day i guess it's still sitting there i don't remember um but i wanted to be able to like in the navigation bar i wanted to be able to customize the buttons that were up there without having them to necessarily be that was a part of the framework at the time that was pretty much tied to the original HTML, and I wanted a way to be able to change them on the fly. Okay. And at the time, I didn't really know anything about iPhone conventions or anything, and I kept calling the nav bar the toolbar, and, and <laughs> the extension was called <laughs> the extension was called TBB mod, and it was basically toolbar button mod because that's what I thought that thing up there was called at the time. Wow, how far you've come! It may still be floating around out there somewhere. I don't know, but. <laughs> And it's nothing really to brag about, but that's what I did. Okay. And after a while, I just kind of got disenchanted with that. And that project, I don't know who's running it nowadays, but I think it was ran by people that were... Joe had left that project because he went to work at Facebook and he didn't have time for it. And I think he got bored with it too. And uh, <clears throat> I don't I don't remember the guy's name and I don't want to call him out anyway because he, he seemed like a great guy when I interacted with him and stuff. But I think he's, his situation kind of mirrored a lot my my own and... I, he he wasn't working on it full time, and it seemed like the project was moving really slowly. And so I just kind of got bored with it and moved on. And then I finally got a Mac and started learning how to make real iPhone apps. Okay, fair enough. So what what iOS version did you first develop on? Uh, that would have been iOS three or four, I think. Okay, fair enough. Cool. 
Excellent. All right. So the first app that you actually wrote that was native um, on iOS, uh, what was it? Uh, probably tip calculator or something. No, it was actually a. Where's my big nerd ranch guide book? I don't remember. Uh, it was uh, I was working through the big nerd ranch guide for uh, I think it was actually still called iPhone OS at that time, but it was like the the second edition of the book, if I'm not mistaken. And they just yep. start you out by making you making a little trivia quiz. I think, I think it was a little trivia quiz. Okay. And it just so, had questions in an array and a matching answer array, that kind of thing. Okay, fair enough. So, from that point, um, let's see the the ones that I'm aware of. Uh, I guess I'll start with the first big one that I'm aware of that was released into the App Store, uh, and that's Money. Uh, it's actually the only one that's been released into the App Store. <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want to point that out, but I'm glad you pointed that out. Yes, uh, it, it's, but, fair. But it's fair. It's <laughs> fair. I'm I'm aware that you've developed several other apps, including one you're putting a lot of time into at the moment, which you know, I'm, yeah, you're free to talk about if you want to. It's your call. But um, yeah, we can talk about it. On the top, so okay. So before we get into what Money Pilot was, were there any others between that that quiz and Money Pilot that you that you put together? This tip calculator. Uh, yeah, there was a tip calculator in there. There was a uh, there was a, a fun project that I liked in in the the Big Nerd Ranch Guy book called Home Poner, and it was basically just an inventory system, and uh, it was just to teach you about a like a a, a more utility type app. Of, and it was just, you know, it had navigation stack and detail views and master detail view controller kind of thing. And uh, it also introduced me to core data, storing oh, okay. your, your home possessions and core data and stuff and, and learning how to use the camera so you could take pictures of them and attach to it and stuff. And I, I really enjoyed that tutorial and that project. You actually work on that one through a couple of chapters of the book, if I'm not mistaken. And then when I finished the, the parts of the book that talked about it, I kept on playing with it for a long time and just kept adding more to it. Okay, cool. I don't do anything with it much these days, but I had a lot of fun with that project. And I learned a lot about Objective-C and making iPhone apps with that project. Cool. Okay. So... um. Just a, a little bit about um, uh, the platforms. So you said initially mm -hmm. you were very excited about um, the iPhone and that mm -hmm. was one of the main reasons that you wanted to, you actually ended up getting a Mac and so that you could do development specifically for the iPhone. Since, mm -hmm. since the iPhone um, as a platform goes, technically I realize iOS, you know, you program an iOS to accommodate other languages as well or rather like so other devices types or classes i suppose so mm -hmm. the ipad is an example um the apple watch is i think different enough but essentially you know it's the code still lives on an iphone and then of course tv os as well so since those since the iphone first came out which is the other platform that excites you the most out of the ones i've listed um i like playing with with developing for the ipad a little bit too um not as much as I do for the iPhone. I think my passion really more than anything is, is for the iPhone. Um, I have been doing like some tutorials and some sample apps for the watch. I'm really interested in where the watch is going. I, I don't dislike where it is now as opposed to the current trend of really hating on it. But um, I, I'm really more excited about where it's going than where it is at the, at the moment. It and, is, it and is I interesting. I look forward to that. Yeah. 
And, it is uh, interesting how many people are actually hating on the Apple Watch, and I, I find it to be quite um, disappointing. I think. Yeah. Um, because well, some I of love- that I, I do put some of that blame on Apple because you know when when they first introduced it, and they they had the the keynote on stage, and they had Kevin Lynch come out there, and and he was showing off all kinds of things to do with it. I think they kind of hyped it up, and and and. In all fairness, they they did misrepresent a little bit about the watch's capabilities, not in what it could do, but how quickly and how efficiently it would do those. <laughs> when when the device got into people's hands, the user experience doesn't quite live up to to what it was presented. I mean, there are some things I, I love my watch. I still wear it every day. I've used it. I consider it the biggest tool in in the fact that I've lost fifty pounds in the last six months. It was the oh, first hey, way thing. to go. Yeah, it was the first thing that in actually like 10 years of gradual weight weight gain that, that actually motivated me having those activity ring complications. That was the first thing that actually motivated me to like develop a fitness plan, to stick with the fitness plan because I had to fill that green ring every single day and I bought the water rower rowing machine so that I, because I'm an introverted geek, I didn't want to have to leave the house to make sure I got my exercise <laughs> and I could still fill that ring. And uh, I bought the water rower rowing machine, which is a great machine. I love that. I'm going to give them a free plug. Everybody, you should try it. (laughs) Um, Nice. It's it's if you're curious, it's if you've ever watched House of Cards, it's the rowing machine Frank uses in House of Cards. I know exactly the one. Yeah, it's it's a great full body workout. They say it's actually a hybrid strength and cardio workout. Um, I don't know that you're necessarily going to bulk up muscles on it. I don't think it's that kind of strength, but it definitely it will definitely tone you up. It definitely has me, and uh, you you work your whole body with it, and and I really enjoy it. It's actually become uh, for the first time in my life. There's actually a fitness machine that I actually enjoy to use, and I enjoy having regular exercise in my life. I had a hernia operation about three weeks ago to correct an inguinal hernia, and I haven't been able to get on the rower, and I actually really, really, really miss it. <laughs> the wife goes okay. in there to use it sometimes, and I just kind of listen, and, and it's soothing to hear, but I'm sad and pouty at the same time. <laughs> okay, I can't wait enough. to get so, back on it. i got about one more week at the time of recording, and then I'll be rowing again. So, All right, cool. All right, yeah, so that's not really about programming, but <laughs> oh no, 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 that's fine. It's all good. It's all good. I mean, the 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 thing that I was interested in is to see which other platforms you're interested in developing for. So, because since since you've done um, Money Pilot, and mm-hmm. after that, I'm aware of two other apps, significant apps that you've put a lot of time and effort into, and one of them, which oh. I know you, <laughs> sorry, I. Uh, I, I have done so many. I uh, I've got my uh, my app lab folder open here in the Finder. And let's see, okay. there's an App Story podcast client that that never came to market, partly because App Story kind of is on a extended hiatus, which I haven't completely <laughs> given up on finding the time one day to get back to it. But oh, well, I, I hope you do come back to it because a lot now. of people have, yeah. have said to me, is, is yeah, Victor well, and, and people people interestingly enough, it still gets downloaded a fair amount and. Apple features it sometimes in the hour of code thing, even though there hasn't been a new episode. I think in probably almost a year now at this point, maybe a little over that. I can't remember. The last episode was Carlos Rebus talking about hours tracker. Ah, of course. Yeah. It's a good episode. Which was a good one. One of my personal favorites. I really like Carlos. We talk on Twitter all the time. Um, let's see. So there was the App Story podcast client that never saw the light of day, although it did see some, some beta users did play with it. 
There was, let's see, my schedule, which has been renamed to something else, which I don't currently want to disclose the new name of it, which I had a few beta testers on that one that, that really enjoyed it. One guy really likes it, and, and he, he's pretty disgruntled that I haven't given it more attention. It was basically just a, a quick way for people to enter their daily work schedule. If, if their schedule wasn't like a simple repetitive everyday 9 to 5, if your schedule floated around a lot, it, it was trying to address the issue of being able to enter that into a calendar system quickly. And I haven't given up on that, but I'm not very focused on it right now. Okay, fair then, enough. of course, there was, let's see, there was obviously Money Pilot was before all of these. And I worked hard on Money Pilot for like eight, nine months, maybe a little longer than that before I finally got 1.0 in the store. And it really needs an update now. And I've actually got an update for it that I've been using myself as a, a beta build for a long time. But it works very well for my needs, but I like haven't worked out all the edge case needs and things like that. You know, the things you gotta you gotta stop and think about when it gets out into the wild and people don't use something exactly like you do, or there's there's yeah. bugs to it. And and you know, because I made it, I know that you know if you try and do this, it's gonna crash, and if you try and do that, it's gonna crash. But if you do it this way first and that way first, you know, just the little yeah. details like that that really need to be fixed before it's available for public that I can work around perfectly fine because I know it and. But I really need to, to, to do that, and I'd really like to get 2.0 of Money Pilot out there one day because it's a lot better than the 1.0 as far as the the appearance and the design of it. Most of the back-end code is actually the same. It, it, you know, it uses core data to store everything, and I actually think I did a pretty good job of setting up my, my model on that, and there's a lot of relationships in it so that things aren't redundantly duplicated, and it's easy to update and change, like payees and payers and and where things go and and accounts and things like that most of the back end is pretty sound and and still holds up and i, I, I put a lot of work into like the ui layer for 2.0 and i just haven't got it out there yet i need to um but and then i i got distracted with all these other projects <laughs> let's see and then there was there was one that i never gave it like a formal name and I never really put it out in into beta testing. I was working on it really passionately and uh it was a project that was it was using it was when the geofencing APIs were still relatively new and it yep. would have been a project so that if you had a child and and they had an iPhone, you could put this app on their phone and set up geofences so that it would like automatically email you when they got to school or when they got home from school. Oh, nice. Yeah. And uh, I was actually working on that. I was pretty excited about that. And then Apple announced Find My Friends. <laughs> yeah. And and they had push notifications built right in for that. And, and so I was like, okay, so that's probably a, a non-starter. And actually, knowing what I know about the app market now, I probably should not have bailed on the idea because this is often the case with Apple. I don't want to sound too negative about some of the things that they make, but a lot of the times they, they you know, they're kind of like to dip your toe into something and to make sure the basic needs of something are, are met. And there's, mm -hmm. at the time, I didn't think that there was, but there's still a thriving market for things that compete with the built-in stock apps as long as you have a nice presentation on it or a really well implemented implemented version of it or maybe you have a more robust feature set yeah and i think that it probably 
still could have been a viable product if I'd stuck with it. But because of the Find My Friends, I bailed on that one. Fair enough. Well, ultimately, I think that that's it's good to know that you can compete with Apple apps because for the for the for the longest time they were banning apps from the store that replicated core functionality. So at least now Apple letting people compete with them. Yeah, I think that might have even still been an issue partly at that time. So I I don't know. I maybe it it would have been a bad idea because of that. Like, I'm not sure that there were. I th- I don't think there were still any third party podcast apps or anything back at that time. Okay. I think this was still back at the time when they were saying, you know, no duplication of functionality that's already built into the iPhone. I can't remember exactly when they started relaxing on that. Okay. Fair enough. So All right, let's cool. See. We've done the App Story podcast client, we did the the schedule app, we did the uh the email mom that I'm home app. <laughs> Let's see. Trying to see if there is anything of significance. Oh yeah, I made a an a, iTunes affiliate linking project at one point. Oh yeah, that's right. I kind of that. Kind of like what Blink is now, and I was yeah. pretty excited and enthusiastic about it. And uh, at the time, I I liked it and I enjoyed working on it. But then I come to decide that it was when I had first started making app story podcast and I was networking with a lot of podcasters and some bloggers and creative types of that nature and was looking at the fact that we were all using affiliate links for things and was looking at an easier way to store and use them and share them when you needed to. And Mm -hmm. uh, I enjoyed working on that project. I liked doing it. But I ultimately just decided that the the market for it was kind of niche and it would be too small. And I didn't think that it would be profitable to to put a lot more time into that. So I kind of abandoned it. And then I I believe, as far as I know, Mike Voorhees, Michael Voorhees. No, John Voorhees, John Voorhees. I think he's doing pretty well with Blink from what I understand. And... I, I'm glad to see that because it's it's a product that I definitely thought should exist out there. And he's cool. he's done a good job with that app. It's a nice app, so I'm glad somebody yeah. filled that niche. And it, it's it just good... another thing that maybe I shouldn't have bailed on that I did. <laughs> Are you seeing a pattern yeah. here? <laughs> yeah, well, this is this is one of the things I want to talk about, but but let's just keep going through the list for the minute. Okay. What else what um, else you got? Oh yeah, uh, an e-juice calculator app that I had started on, which is uh, for e-cigarettes. A lot of there's a, a pretty thriving do-it-yourself community about that, and uh, basically a lot of them like to make their own juices for it. And I had started working on a like a, a recipe book essentially. Okay. And uh, yeah, and so that you could store your 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 e-juice recipes and stuff in it, and and you could share them and stuff like that. But then Apple doesn't let any of those in the store so <laughs> i abandoned that one <laughs> okay then fair enough yeah i i think they they let some apps like that in the store mainly like catalog purchasing apps you can buy things and supplies and stuff but they specifically said they didn't want any like formula calculators or anything in there because you know they don't support the the idea of vaping and smoking and you know you can't put smoking things in the store and stuff like that Although they do have drink cocktail recipe things in there, so I don't really see if there's a whole lot of difference in that. Well, yeah, and they've also got um, coffee apps in there too about how to time your AeroPress and stuff. But uh, yeah. yeah, but uh, I, yeah, it's in, it seems a little bit odd, but never mind. Yeah. Okay, fair well, enough. Well, uh, my personal stance was, you know, I 
require it to have you know a, a 17 plus you know a, a mature age rating thing yeah. on it or whatever that's fine i i you know i have no problem with anything that's going to prevent children from picking up bad habits that they really shouldn't you know but mm-hmm. it you know grown adults should be able to <laughs> to to do what they want to do and that's a different story. Yeah, but, no, I, so I, I, abandoned, I understand what you mean. I abandoned that project because, you know, there was essentially no viable market for that. I knew for a fact Apple wouldn't let it in. So Okay. Oh, well. Fair enough, then. What else on the list? I, th- I think... And those... I don't know if I actually have the, the chronological order on all of those correctly. Oh, that's okay. But, that's fine. I think that uh, my observation was that you sort of like, you do a bit on one and then you sort of like, sometimes you'll come back and tweak a bit more and, and so on. Yeah. So it's sort of hard to be dis- definitively chronological. So I think yeah. you get a pass on that. That's cool. Yeah. And then I, th- I think this this pretty much brings us to mowing meter. I don't think there was anything of significance other okay. than before that one. I think the rest of them were just things that I had started and abandoned. Um Anybody that's been in my former beta groups that, that I've forgotten something, then feel free to shout at me on Twitter and let me know. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So on the on the subject of mowing meter, I have actually uh-huh. beta tested mowing meter, despite the fact that I don't have a mower anymore, uh, but I still tested it. And uh, I thought it was kind of nice. And uh, I heard you were considering perhaps actually moving beyond beta test and releasing that maybe someday. Is that true? Uh, yeah, I'm actually considering just dropping in the store as is. Um, mowing meter is a project. I actually, I have a lot of passion for it. I think I want to do a little bit more to the UI first because I'd like to do something about the the the, the ultra skeuomorphic field of grass <laughs> that that's in the the main UI. I think it makes it kind of hard to see some of the text labels, and I've heard some feedback about that. I started mowing meter because uh, I. It actually started as a joke between some friends of mine because I've got a friend that Scott that's you know he 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 dabbles in iOS and he wants to learn how to make apps and stuff too, and uh, I was telling him about that we were talking about the APIs for motion tracking that are available in the phone, and the, the states that it can track and monitor and how it does it, and I threw together like in a half hour's time I threw together a really quick like a real time pedometer app. And it would tell you, like, if you were walking, if you were running, if you were sitting in a, in a vehicle, and if the vehicle was moving. And if you were walking or running, it would tell you how many steps you were taking. You know, they would filter in a couple steps at a time. And uh, I, I, I enjoy mowing my yard. <laughs> yeah. I'm not ashamed to say. You know, it, it, for many years, it was the only exercise that I really got. And uh, so I kind of had a a little bit of a passion for that. And I'd always been kind of curious, you know, just how much exercise you actually get out of mowing the yard. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at that little sample project that I had built and sent to him so he could compile it and put it on his phone and he could play with it. And I was like, you know, I don't know that it would take a whole lot more work to to make this a a workable, usable, real-time pedometer. I mean, there's a lot right. of pedometers on the store, you know, obviously oh, the, yeah. the, probably the most prominent would be David Smith's Pedometer Plus Plus, which is a great app. Sure. But it doesn't serve the purpose of, you know, how many steps did I take while I was mowing the yard <laughs> or yeah. or running the weed eater or gardening or whatever. You know, it didn't have the ability to narrow it down. It just told you your steps for the day. Yeah, and I was exactly. looking at it and I was like, you know, I think that 
it wouldn't take a whole lot to, to kind of polish this up a little bit and turn it into something that could, could answer those questions for me. And I'm sure other people were curious about it too. And if nothing else, it could just be fun. You know, something to just fun to play with. So I threw it together and I, I started testing it myself. I did a few mowings myself with it. And I, I refined it a little bit more and I added a few more options to it so that you could track a few different activities. And at the request of my brother-in-law, I added the ability for it to use, uh, you could you could tell it you were on a riding mower, which kind of defeats yes. the purpose. But I was adding I was GPS say. functionality into it anyway because I had, at the time, the, the 5S was still brand new. And yep. that was the first phone that actually did step tracking. And I still had a lot of friends that, that didn't have the 5S. And they were just using, you know, 4s and 4s's. And they essentially couldn't play with this fun new toy that I'd made. And if it was going to be a real app in the, in the store, I could, I, I, you could take the approach of, you know, just, just don't uh, making it free or whatever and, and telling people don't download this if you don't have a 5S. You need a 5S for it to work. And you could even make it so it just doesn't show up to devices that didn't have step tracking. But there, there's... The nature of the app was always more than anything, more than a serious fitness app. It was meant to just be fun. So I, I wanted it to be accessible to as many people as possible. And so I was adding GPS distance tracking into it. So you could use it on an older device and it would just track distance use, using GPS. And since I had that in there anyway, at my brother-in-law's request, I added a, a, a riding mower mode in there. <laughs> so that he could track how far he went on his riding mower. So I added that to it, and then I added uh, a list of other activities that you could do in it. Like, um, it started out just plain mowing. That was all it would do. And uh, I saw one of my, my testers, shout out to uh, a guy named, he goes by phone boy. He was actually oh, yeah. just using it to track walks around the neighborhood and stuff. <laughs> and so, okay. like, you know. Because he wanted to know, you know, like much like I said what about the other pedometer apps, you know. He was like, how much did I do on this walk? And so he was using it for that. So I added, like, the ability to do, you could tell it you were trimming trees and shrubs, and you could tell it you were doing weed eater trimming, you could tell it you were gardening, you could tell it you were mowing or raking. And then I added to it, you could do, like, running and jogging. And it didn't do any calories. It still doesn't do any calories or anything like that. It'll just tell you how far you went and how many steps you got. It does do a score, which is mainly just for fun more than anything. And yes. I was kind of proud of the scoring system. I need to tweak it for like running and walking because it, it's not fair in that respect. But I wanted a fair way because ultimately one of the things I wanted to do for it, and I still do want to do for it, is put Game Center in it so people can All challenge right. each other and it can have a leaderboard. And I was trying to think of a fair way that you could score mowing the yard because there's a lot of variables in there. Uh, yes. You know, some people got flat yards, some people got hill yards, some people have self-propelled mowers, some people have riding mowers. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I was trying to think of what what's a fair metric that I could use that would test everybody. And I the first thing I did was decide well that. If it goes into Game Center, then there would be different leaderboards for the different classes of mowers. You'd have, you know, people using push mowers, people using a self-propelled walk-behind push mower, and people using rad mowers. I would just filter them all out into their own respective leaderboards right off the bat. So you don't have people competing against riding mowers and killing themselves trying to beat their score and so forth. What I ended up with is, is I just basically based it on average speed. Okay. You know, just just distance over time, which 
gave me like a, a really low decimal multiply uh, decimal score, and then I just decided on a nice constant multiplier that I liked for it, which is either 1024 or uh, 2048, you know, because binary numbers for the win, yo. And <laughs> uh-huh. so I, I, I do the, uh, the basically just the, the, the average. It would be the average pace because it, what, it calculates your score just by how far you've gone and how long it's taken to do it. Okay. And uh, so it's really more of an average pace, and then it just multiplies it by that multiplier and spits you out a score. Mine is usually somewhere between like seven, 800 to at max 1,100 one day um i do know one guy that had a, a self-propelled mower in my beta group he uh but the the clutch on his self-propelled mower was broke so it just always goes <laughs> yeah, okay. you don't stop with it it drags you around the yard and he ended uh-huh. up getting like a, a 13 or a 1400 point score because he just basically didn't stop but uh i figured but you know if i just score it on on speed you know distance over time and you know a class division of what kind of mowers then how big your yard is doesn't matter anymore. Whether it's, okay. it's hilly or, or, or flat, I guess that would maybe kind of matter somewhat, but it's, it's not as big a factor as if, you know, it doesn't matter how long it takes you to mow the yard. Your average pace is, is what's determining that score. Okay. And I, I think that was the most fair fair way i could do that and if anybody's got better ideas feel free to shout them at me because i do hope to put this thing in the store one day and i may just drop it in there sometime soon um i never quite got the game center support in there and at the time i was just going to put some i ads in it with an in-app purchase to turn those off if you didn't like them of course that's kind of moot at this point from what i hear i ads completely going away i originally thought it was just going away for developers to use to promote their apps but now it looks like it's just completely going away yeah, it's it's days a it's days a number it seems unfortunately. Yeah, which I, I, so I ran I, it, and it is unfortunate. I think that it's it sort of filled that niche for people that didn't uh, that that uh, that didn't want to deal. Well, with all the of part the... about it that disappoints me about it is, well, like for this particular at mowing meter, you know, I made it. You know, it was just a fun passion project more than anything, and. To be honest, I, I enjoyed making it, and even if I never put it in the store, I'd probably keep it installed on my phone, and I still use it every time I mow the yard. So I, I don't have any regrets at all about the time that I spent putting in it. But if I want to put it in the store and maybe make just a little bit off of it, iAds was a good way to do that without having to import some creepy third-party frameworks into it and jump through a bunch of hoops to get their stuff working and who knows what else they're sucking down. Um and I'll probably just put it in there completely free now. Maybe put a tip jar in it or something like that. And if somebody wants to throw me a little 99 cent tip or whatever they can. But uh, it would have been a good alternative that it wouldn't have had to, to rely on creepy third-party stuff to put in there. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm kind of sad to see that go. Not just for myself, but for developers in general. Because, you know, there's a lot of people out there making a lot of free apps. And, and they want to make some money off of it, understandably. And... Unless they're doing, you know, scammy, gimmicky, consumable in-app purchase stuff, which I, I probably, that's not fair. I shouldn't say it's always scammy and gimmicky. Some some of the consumable in-app purchases are legit. There's, you know, subscriptions to useful services and things like that. But unless you've got some sort of reoccurring subscription in there or uh, reoccurring in-app purchase in there, then ads are pretty much your only way to, to make money off of it. And even with the, the in-app purchases, you know, there's a lot of people that just won't ever buy those. 
and they'll they'll use free apps and i don't begrudge them for that you know it's it yeah everybody has a different value they place on things but there's a lot of people that'll just download a free app and they're perfectly happy to use it and they'll never consider an in-app purchase and they never consider a paid app and so your only choice in that case is if you want to try and recoup even just a little bit a few fractional cents per use is with ads and some people the ads as far as ads go were relatively nice and tasteful and and they weren't quite as abusive and obstructive as some of the third-party frameworks. And I, so I'm sad to see developers that, that are working in that environment and that are catering to those markets. I'm sad to see them lose that non-creepy alternative. Well, I, I do think that a lot of people are going to miss, um, you know, are going to miss IAD. Uh, the, only, the people that seem to be okay with it going away, the ones that I either have never really used it or are big enough in other ways that don't need to would not be the target audience yeah so well some people just have philosophical disagreements with it with the concept of using ads and stuff like that some people are like you know give it away or, or sell it do whatever you want to do but and that, that's fine those are all perfectly valid points of views i'm not criticizing or attacking anybody for their their belief and their point of view but for the people that are catering to that market and and are using that method to try and and you know make a little bit of money and, and to recover some of their development costs I'm, I'm sad to see that avenue disappear and because like i mean like i said you know that was the only way you could put ads in an app to try and make a little bit of money that wasn't creepy yeah exactly right that didn't involve in, importing third-party code into your app that you had no control over. It was a, a few simple API calls, and, and Apple took care of it, and you didn't have to worry about what was happening behind the scenes with your app. You could trust it. Yeah. So I'm sad to see that go away. But anyway, I, I will probably just put it on the store with no ads and maybe uh -huh. throw in a tip jar. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd like to, like I said, I'd like to fix the UI a little bit and put it in there. But basically, I ran it in beta all summer last summer, and I had a, a, a decent handful of testers. Some of them are still in there. Some of them are still using it. And I kind of just let it expire, and I backburned it during the, the winter when I started on another more important project that we'll get to in a few minutes. Um, and then the spring, I, I dusted it off, and I put put it back out there, and I, I, I opened a beta again. And... Um, and I think my release notes in that beta said this should be the last beta before, and it should be ready for the store soon. And at the time, I really believed that, and I still really believe that. And um, here's here's the thing: it's in Objective C, John. <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> there, there, exactly. There's a few more things I'd like to do for it, and then just throw it out there. And because. If I may toot my own horn and probably hex myself and, and bring the, the crash gods upon myself, Mowing Meter has actually never had a single crash in the wild. Wow. At least as far as I can trust but... the iTunes Connect test flight crash reporting. <laughs> so the code base there seems to be pretty solid. <laughs> and it, it, it seems to do what it does well. And, and as far as I know, there's never been any crash. And so I really should just throw it out there. And like I said, there's a few Lucians I'd like to tie up for it. But I keep backburnering it because, well, for starters, it the next project that we'll get to, it actually grew from Mowing Meter. I guess you could say Mowing Meter was like its, its grandpa or its dad or something like that. The next project is definitely a descendant of it. But uh, 
The other project I feel was a lot more important, so I just spent a lot more time on it. And I've been diving headfirst into Swift for the past few months. I've really been enjoying Swift, um, really enjoying protocol-oriented programming and, and looking at things in that, that point of view and, and trying to train my mind to think in that perspective. Trying to throw some, some stuff up on GitHub, you know, some, some shareable code, some reusable code to show people that I'm... I mean, I do have some imposter syndrome, but I would like to show people I'm not a complete poser. I do know how to write a few lines of code. Because <laughs> at this point, I don't know that saying Money Pilot, which went into the store three years ago and has never been updated since, is, is establishing much credit in that point. <laughs> but uh, So I've been throwing a little bit of code up on GitHub that's mainly, they're, they're smaller reusable chunks of the next project that we're going to get to. But... Um, I, I need to tie up a few loose ends on mowing meter, and then I probably will just drop it in the store as is. I haven't done much with it because, like I said, I've been focused on the other project. It's Objective-C, and I, I just I don't want to look at Objective-C anymore. I don't want to write Objective-C anymore. Um, and I was the guy that, that for many months, I mean, if you dig in my Twitter history timeline, you can find a picture of Gollum that says, We love our square brackets, don't we, precious? <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I actually remember that comment. Let's talk a little bit about um, your transition from Objective-C to Swift and how you found that experience. Well, I was, um, despite the, the Gollum impression and that we love our square brackets, I was never negative about Swift. I'd like to clarify that for the record. From the time Apple first introduced it, I was pretty enthusiastic about it and pretty excited about it. Sure. I was leery and I had mm -hmm. reservations and I didn't jump on it until I think I think Swift 2. No, Swift 1.2. Because it was it was iOS 9, but it was I think it was when iOS 9 was in beta and I think it would have been Swift 1.2 then. And so thanks to a lot of the people that went before me that caught a lot of the flack and and saw it through got a lot of the really rough times. It's still not stable. There's still a lot of things happening fast moving in it. But uh the the first few versions, from what I understand, were pretty rough, and I was I was nervous about that and the rate of speed at which changes were being made. The promise that there would that there would be binary compatibility, but not source code compatibility, really scared the bejesus out of me. Because, like, I love coding, I love making apps, I love making these projects. I don't know that it's fair to call myself a developer. I'd probably, if I'm brutally honest with myself, I'm at best a hobbyist developer because I have another full-time job, very much full-time job, that's not developing software. So, you know, I'm stealing away moments of spare time here and there when I can. And, you know, it takes time away from my wife, takes time away from the kids and family and stuff like that. And I had to be judicious about how I try and spend my development time. And I didn't really think that, Chasing down code that used to work before the last Xcode update came out and fixing it so that it worked when the next Xcode update was, was the best use of my time. So I just kind of watched yep, Swift, I read some blogs, and I, I was excited about some of the things that were happening, but I didn't jump into it right away. But it, it seemed like around Swift okay. 1.2, things started slowing down a little bit. Things were getting a little bit more stable. And uh, so I started dipping my toe into it a little bit. Andrew J. Clark actually was, was the one that encouraged me to get into it. But yeah, it, it, it looked like Swift was getting a little bit more stable. And uh, so I, I started dipping my toe into it. And I really quickly 
started to, to really embrace it and to really love it. And it wasn't long before I was looking at my brackets that I used to love and that I sent Gollum pictures about. <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, man, yeah. I never want to see those again. And at first it was, you know, just a passing joke. I was like, no, hey, you know, I've worked in Objective-C for a long time. I should be able to swing back and forth pretty flexibly. And to be honest, you know, if I had a job doing this, I, I could. I could. Um, you sure. know, I, I, I was pretty fluent in Objective-C. I'm getting pretty fluent in Swift now. There's still a lot that I need to learn, especially a lot of the higher order stuff. And I've wrapped my head around protocol-oriented programming pretty good, but there's a lot of the functional aspects of it and some of the, uh, the just the, the swiftiness of it that I'd like to get better at. And I am learning it, and I am going moving along in it, and I'm not so dissatisfied with my progress at all. But when I got ready to, to dust off mowing meter this spring and put it back out into to beta and to try and finish it up and actually get it out into the market, it was all Objective-C, and, and I opened it. And it, it, it makes my eyes hurt. It makes my head hurt. And I just... Like I said, if I were doing a, if I had a development job and I had to, then there, there's a financial motivation there, and I'd be perfectly willing to roll up my sleeves and, and work on Objective C. But right now, like I said, you know, if I'm doing this as a hobby, I'm gonna write what I like, and I'm pretty enthusiastic about Swift, and uh, I'd like to try and avoid going back to Objective C. And so I was looking through the mowing meter code base, and I was like, okay, so let's just port it to Swift. <laughs> And I'm sure that those... Are you seriously <laughs> going to do that, though? Uh, Are you really going to well, do that? Well, that's the thing. Uh, honestly, if I wasn't working on the other project that we're going to get to, probably, probably. Because, like I said, you know, I'm just a hobby developer, and it's nothing but time anyway. But And because I do feel passionately about Moic Meter. I do like it. I do love that little app. It's, you know... You can say whatever you want to about the UI needing some work, but I love that app. And yeah, I probably will at some point hopefully dedicate some time into converting it to Swift. It's not a terribly large code base anyway. At this point, it's not even so much the matter of not wanting to do it as much as not wanting to pull away from the current project to do it. Because my current project that, that spawned out of mowing meter means so much more to me. Okay, cool. So... That's enough, I think, about the build-up. Let's just talk about it. So tell tell me about why you wanted to do the app that you're doing now, what it's called, and what it's for. Go for it. Okay. It's a, it's a health and fitness tracking app. And uh, basically, mowing meter kind of was, was a playful nudge to me to, to kind of put me in a, a fitness tracking mind. I mean, I had pedometer apps and stuff on my phone, and I love David Smith's Pedometer++, Plus Plus, but uh, mowing meter kind of sparked a, an, an interest in me in, in, you know, just general activity and general fitness and how many steps we could take while we were mowing the yard and stuff like that. And then later in the summer, toward the end of summer last year, I bought an Apple Watch Sport. Just the, the cheap one because, you know, Generation 1 and I didn't want to invest a whole lot into yep, it. Yep. Um, and I'm still not dissatisfied with that. In some respects, a lot of people say I got the best watch because, like, I'd like to have the, the sapphire lens that's on the stainless steel one. But, like, John Gruber in particular has said that, you know, he's worn them both. And he thinks that the uh, the haptic sensor in the, or the haptic motor in the, the Sport is the best by far he says he can feel it a lot better than he can the stainless steel and models that's because it's lighter but that's okay i've covered that on that, episode. maybe so maybe so no, that's yeah. why but anyway don't mind that's yeah. fine yeah so i got the apple watch and i got these activity rings on the face of it and started getting really fitness minded 
at the time I was just north of 200 pounds, like 205. Um, I have a family history full of strokes and heart problems and early deaths. And my biological father died just a few years older than I am right now of heart problems and stuff. I just lost my mother a few months ago at what most would consider a relatively young age to strokes and heart conditions and things like that. And so I was thinking that I, I really needed to do something. And because I haven't always been a big person, I hadn't always weighed like that. Um, my family's got this weird metab metabolic curse. Basically, we stay skinny till we get in our late 20s, early 30s. And I mean rail skinny. Okay. <laughs> and then over the years, the, the pounds kind of just gradually add on. And so I, I was like around 150 all through my teenage years and my 20s. And then I started gradually picking up weight over the years. And then I was up to about 205. And my wife said that I was suffering from horrible sleep apnea, like to the point that it scared her sometimes. You know, the only thing worse than hearing an overweight person breathe is when you hear them stop breathing in the middle of the night and it takes a minute or so before they start yeah, again. And uh, I, I was snoring really bad, and that was just a nuisance. But she said the sleep apnea really scared her. Um, I would get, like, it had gotten to the point to where just mowing the yard would really win me, and I would have to sit down and take several breaks. I couldn't do, you know, a very large flight of steps without having to stop and breathe at the top of them. And I was in really, really bad shape. And I was looking at that, that family history and that future, and I was thinking I needed to do something. I had to do something. And I had tried some diets and stuff in the past. I don't think I was, I don't know, you, you'd be the one to tell me more than anybody because you've been through it. I don't think I was overweight enough that they would have considered me a candidate for surgery. No, no probably not. And, uh, yeah, and I had tried some diet things and some, some low-carb diets and calorie tracking. And I had tried some exercising and stuff, but basically I hate running. Running sucks. <laughs> um, F running. That's, tr that's, that's, <laughs> that's my sentiments on running. I know it's, it's, it's the, the fastest, the most efficient way if you want to lose some weight, but... F that. I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> running hurts. It sucks. I'm I'm not an old, old man, but I'm not a young man either. Running, just screw that. I'm not doing it. <laughs> All right. Cool. And Fair enough. So I got a bicycle, but I I never rode it consistently or anything. But then the Apple Watch came out. And, and at first, I kind of dismissed it. And I was like, I'm just going to wait till version 2 comes out. Because, you know, we all know what version 1 of the iPhone was like and what the difference was between the iPhone and the iPhone 3G. So I was going to just completely skip the Apple Watch altogether. And, uh, but I was reading about it and, and seeing people about it. And I saw a post from people like Marco, who was never a fitness-minded person at all, talk about how he was taking hops for longer walks and stuff. If I'm not mistaken, I think somewhere along the way, he actually went ahead and either purchased a gym membership or bought a treadmill or both. I can't mm -hmm. remember. I was listening to an episode of Connected and hearing people like Vatici talk about standing out on his back balcony, walking back and forth and people looking at him strange just because he wanted to, you know, he was so close to finishing his rings and he wanted to make sure that he got that. And I was thinking about my mindset and my personality. And I was like, you know, I think this is the kind of thing that would get me to actually stick with some fitness because, you know, I, those rings and completing mm -hmm. those rings. That's the type of thing, since I got the watch, I've not had a single night that I went to bed without all my rings full. Wow. That's impressive. And I have done, 
Well, and I have done some things that some people would probably consider cheating along the way. There have been times when I've lowered my goal. Okay. Because I I just wasn't going to make it, and those circumstances would have been... Um, I had had it for a, a month, maybe a month and a half, and I was filling my rings easily every day using my rowing machine and work. I'm actually on my feet for 11 hours, walking and standing, moving about. So filling my rings on a work day is no okay. problem at all. It actually pushes my move goal up so high that I a lot of the times end up doing extra workouts on my days off just so that I can try and maintain a consistency there. Truthfully, I should probably just let it double and triple my, my goal on, on work days because the, the days are so different and then just maybe tell it no when it wants to increase my goal every Monday morning, but I can't seem to bring myself to do that. Um, so I'd had it for about a month and my wife and I went on a vacation and I wasn't going to be at work for at least uh, seven days, maybe nine days. I can't remember mm -hmm. now at this point. So I knew that I would really, really struggle and I wasn't going to have my rowing machine. <laughs> So I knew I was really going to struggle that. So I, I dropped the the goal for the first time for that vacation. <sighs> By I think I I dropped it from like nine hundred twenty at that point a day to maybe five or six hundred calories a day. So I dropped it for that. Okay. And then I kept it there, and it gradually worked its way back up over time. Um, the next time I, I reduced my goal was when my mother died. Okay. Not because I just couldn't bring myself to. It's, it's, there's no way. on a day off. I mean, and when I tell you this, it, it's going to sound like I'm complaining, but not really because I really enjoy my rolling machine and I've come to really enjoy my bike and even somewhat my stationary bike on a day off when I'm not at my day job. Yep. I usually end up working out for an hour and a half, yeah, just so that I can meet the same goal, and. So that, and obviously mama died and there wasn't going to be any work. So I wasn't going to make any calories that way. Yep. And I was not, I wasn't in a place where I was going to, to hop on the rowing machine or the bicycle or any of those things yep. for an hour and a half to fill that, that damn yep. ring. So I lowered my, my goal quite considerably. Okay. And I just, I, I lowered it and I left it there and it, it gradually worked its way back up over time. I think it's the long-term trend is what matters. I think it's like, you know. I feel so too, but I also know that it's not going to be a good night in the Hudson house the first time. I And I know one day it's going to happen. The first night in the Hudson house that I don't get all those rings is not going to be a good night because I'm I'm such an obsessive personality. So when, when mom died, I lowered that goal. And I think actually the, the way I determined the goal and the way I said it was I got on my rower for a half hour, so I'd fill the green ring. And whatever the calories I got out of that workout is what I made my red ring goal, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Fair enough. And since then, it's worked its way back up. And then when I had my hernia surgery a couple of weeks ago, I lowered my move goal yeah, again. Yeah, because you that. mentioned that since then you haven't, you're, you're still not healed enough yet to get to use the rower again. Yeah, the doctor really wanted me to stay off the rower for, for a full month. I have. One more week of that, actually, as of today, next next Thursday, I should... Actually, if I wait literally one week from surgery, or four weeks from surgery next Wednesday, I should be able to get back on the rower. He wanted me to stay off of that. For, for two weeks, all I could do was walk for the first two weeks, which was fine. I, I don't dislike walking. Um, it's not very time efficient for calorie burning. <laughs> no. I could burn calories a lot faster on my rowing machine. 
But uh, I, I walked, and a very brisk walk, and that's how I filled my rings after my surgery. I, I would get out there, and I do, like, I was doing a three-mile walk a day, and I got it down to uh, about 50 minutes. I was doing about a 15-and-a-half-minute mile, so that's a pretty good walk, and that, that pleased me. But obviously, because that's all the exercise I was getting, I had to lower the goal for that, and I'm letting it work its way back up now. And I've been back on bikes and stationary bikes for about a week now, so I could do that too now, and that's good. But anyway, so I got I got those those rings. That was a, a big digression. I'm sorry. I got those rings, and they really compelled the obsessive personality in me. I, well, after hearing those people, I got the Apple Watch, and I got started with those rings. They really appeal to my obsessive nature. I fill those rings every single day, and like I said, I've lost 50 pounds. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Just from fill, I've I've done some dietary changes too, but the biggest difference has been been exercise, regular exercise, being conscious of my activity and how much I'm actually burning, and uh, I cut out just about all drive-throughs or fast foods. Well, that's a good idea. We have, uh, yeah, we have an occasional pizza night every three four weeks, and then uh, our, our idea of a, a junk food treat night these days is uh. Subway, Casey List, ding ding. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that that's pretty much. And then the rest of what we eat is usually at home. A lot of chicken, fish, some occasional red meat. Every couple of weeks, I'll grill us a steak, but mainly chicken and fish and stuff like that. Salads, vegetables. So those those are the dietary changes I made, and I'm sure they contribute a lot to the weight loss too. But I think more than anything, it was just the fact that I went from no regular exercise whatsoever to at least a guaranteed half hour of brisk exercise every day. Wow. And I don't hate it. I enjoy it. I look forward to it. Like I said before, I miss it. And so the the watch and those activity rings actually helped me to make the, those positive changes. And and I'm hoping that they're going to be lifelong changes. And I think the fact that I've I miss my rower so much after three weeks without it is a testament to the fact that maybe possibly I have made some hopefully lifelong changes. So I loved the watch and I loved using it as a tool for that. Some of the apps that that Apple gave us to go with it and some of the third-party ones weren't quite living up to what I, I really wanted from them. Like the activity.app that comes when you pair yep. a watch to your phone for the first time. It, it meets the job. It gets it done. I don't personally feel like it's very pretty to look at. No. I think that there's a lot of scrolling to it for not a lot of data display. You know that. And and I'm sure that I'll I'll have some people that say there's a lot of scrolling to the current app that we're getting to that I'm building to. But I, I still feel like it's a little more dense and I like what I display in my app a little more. I'm doing more than just just your activity stats. I'm also incorporating a lot of health kit stats into it. Because, you know, being aware of that stuff was obviously a big part of, of my, my weight loss efforts and my efforts in making these transitions. And I have thought from day one, before the Apple Watch ever existed, from the time it launched in iOS 8, I'm glad that Health.app is on the phone. I'm glad that HealthKit APIs exist. Yep. I applaud anything that, that encourages people to track and monitor these things to, like you said, watch the trends and, and hopefully move them in positive directions. Yep. But in a lot of ways, I think health.app is atrocious, too. <laughs> I look at health.app, and to me, it looks like a, a, a scientist's dream. Yeah, okay. 
here's all this data. It's nice and neatly categorized into the way a scientist would try and go through it and look at it. They do have a dashboard in there, but it's kind of cumbersome to, to add your data to it and to pick and choose which you want to show up on the dashboard. And the dashboard display itself doesn't show a whole lot of detail. And once you tap it and you start driving down into the details, then you're looking at the other plain scientific view that I didn't like from the main health data list. So I wanted something that could kind of combine those two apps. I wanted something that could, you know, track my activity from the watch and incorporate stats from HealthKit, which started out with, obviously, I, I threw my heart rate in there just because that was fun and you could do it because of the watch. But I wanted my weight in there and body fat and BMI because I've actually got the, uh, the Wything scale that connects to Wi-Fi and it uploads your weight automatically every day. So I just weigh myself every day. And it automatically uploads it, and I could watch that, and I could analyze it. And I've got, you know, trend indicators in there that tell you how your your weight compares to the last time you weighed in and how it looks for the week and your body fat. And you, okay. can, you, know, you can see what that is. And all of the, the usual activity things from, from the watch app, you know, your, your exercise minutes, which I was finally able to actually add the green ring exercise minutes in it with iOS 3 or 9.3 that just came out recently. Before that, that was either a non-existent API or just a, a private API. It wasn't public. We couldn't use it. But active calories, stand hours, and then uh, I had a step count originally. It just showed you today's steps versus yesterday's steps and how they compared. I made some... I didn't completely abandon the activity apps way of displaying some things. There's some aspects of the progress rings that I really like. Like I said, I get a good feeling out of completing those. So I've created my own version of the progress rings that I kind of like a little bit better. And some definitely one of the things that I didn't like about Activity App was the uh, the hourly breakdown, the way it showed you how your calories. The stand hours one wasn't too bad as far as, as being able to look at the hours, but still it, it's pretty hard to like if you missed a stand in the middle of the day and you're trying to figure out which hour that it was. That, that was kind of tricky because the way it's just so tense. So I made some hourly indicators that I think are a little easier to read and a little, they stand out a little better. There's a little more spacing between them. And I think it, it I've done kind of a heat map thing with some of them. Like the active calories has a heat yep. map and, and your steps has a heat map. The, uh, the stand hours is just a, a tri-state status indicator. It just, basically there's a, a no status hour, an idle hour, and a stand hour. Much like the watch has, but uh, they're easier to read than activity.app. And uh, then I was looking at acti apps like MyFitnessPal and stuff, and I religiously log everything I, well, most everything I eat. Occasionally I, I slip and I don't put some stuff in there. And I do occasionally have a, a cheat night, you know, where I'll splurge off my diet a little bit. And I don't know that anybody's going to have long-term success with, with dieting and and healthy eating if they don't occasionally sparge. I think if you completely deprive yourself of any and all kinds of fun food and eating on occasion, I think that's a recipe for disaster. I don't know that anybody can really truly just give that all up for good. But I like the way that, that my fitness pal factored in, you know, your, your daily activity. You know, you obviously have a calorie goal, but you've also got daily activity and workouts, and I like the way that they, they stack those on top of your, your da daily calorie goal because, you know, if you exercise a lot or you burn a lot of calories, you can eat a little bit more. 
But I didn't like the way they displayed it, so I made this fancy little dietary calories pie chart in my app so that you could actually get a really good visualization of how much you've ate, how much is left that you can't eat, whether you've gone over, how much extra you earned from exercise. And that, that I think that covers most of And uh, I had a request to get blood glucose readings from HealthKit in there, which I put in there, and that, that's still a pretty basic cell, but I'm going to improve that and make that better at, over time. I've It's all in Swift. I've put together and structured it in a way that's from, I'm not a software developing engineering expert, but from all my experience in it, it's the most modular piece of, of code that I've written. It's some of the proudest code that I've written. And I've constructed it in a way so that once I get the initial version out there, it's not going to be a tremendous effort to just gradually add more stat types to it over time. And I've made it configurable so that the user can just completely hide the stat types that they don't care about. And they can stack these sections of this table view that's showing their stats. They can stack the sections and the cells that are in the sections. They can stack in the order so that they can look at what's most important to them first. Okay. So how long have you been in a beta test for this? Because I know I've, I've been playing with it, but I'm thinking back as to how far it's, how long it's been in beta. Um, I started on it. In the winter, 2015, sometime just a little before Christmas, I started actually taking it seriously. Um, it grew, like I said, there's not really any any technical mower meter code in there, but there's a lot of ideas for mower meter, mowing meter that are in there. And uh, so I, I ported a lot of that code from mowing meter to Swift and started this project entirely in Swift and well, as entirely in Swift as a, as a, an app can be at this point. And <laughs> I started making it, taking it seriously as far as it being able to read and display data to me from HealthKit in, in December. And I used it privately for a while with just a bunch of cells with just basic text labels. Okay. That basically just, just told me what I had done for the day. Okay. So... Do you have a timeline for when you're planning to release this out into the App Store? Um, when it's ready. I know that's not really a good answer, but <laughs> um, this app, this—that's oh, an answer. It's. I don't want to. I don't want to take forever. I don't want it to be another project that I abandon. I definitely will not abandon it. I can guarantee you that. But I don't want to rush it and half-ass it either. I want it to be good. I want it to be right. I'm really proud of where it is at this point. I'm getting ready to open it up for a little bit more mm -hmm. of a public beta to get some more testers in on it. I'm working on a, a list of your workouts in there right now so yep. you can like view your workouts and stuff. I plan to add a watch kit okay. app to it um, initially and maybe permanently. What I want to do is I want to have a workout tracking app for the watch and uh, a quick way to enter HealthKit stats into the watch because we can't all afford those expensive Wything scales that upload your body weight, you know, things like that. That seems to me like a good fit for the watch, those kind of apps. So you can just get in, enter your weight stat real quick, or maybe enter your body temperature real quick, things like that. And uh, workout tracking. I'm not sure that I'll ever port this dashboard functionality to the watch. I don't think that... I've seen some apps that try to do this. And 
I'm not going to name any because I don't want to single anybody out, and they're dealing with a very limited platform. For the most part, with the exception of the built-in Activity Rings app, they're, they're very limited, and they suffer from poor performance or poor implementation, I guess probably is fair to say in some cases. And I don't think that with the current watch the way it is, I don't think I could make this dashboard and make it look right and be satisfied with it. So I think it's the watch app is primarily going to be for data entry, workouts, and, and health stat entry. But I, I, like I said, I'm really proud of this dashboard that's in the iOS app. And like I said, I'm adding the workout list to it. Okay. And I've got some other things that I'm not going to tell anybody about just yet because there's a few key features I want to add into this that, to my knowledge, nobody else is doing yet, and I've played with them a little bit, and I think that I can make them work well enough that I'd, I'd be pleased with the results of it, and I think a lot of people would, would see it as useful. But the app is called Health Up Display, and it, there's, there's a very minimal website for it at healthupdisplay.com. And uh, I just recently made a, a new icon for it, which I think is much better than the original icon. <laughs> and uh, I'm not a designer. I don't claim to be a designer. And I'm sure some people may not like this icon too. But I've had pretty good feedback from the beta testers that I have. I'm about to, to put a form up on the website to start doing some broader beta testing. Because it's it's reached a point now that I feel comfortable showing it to people. It's not something that, that I feel like I need to be shamed of and guarded against people finding out about at this point. I feel like it's, I'm pretty proud of where it is. It's still got a ways to go, but I'm really supercharged by it. This has been, I still use a lot of other apps to enter health stats and stuff. But as far as my dashboard to see how I'm doing and, and what's helped me to stay on track with my fitness efforts. Since just before Christmas, this app has been the primary one for me. Awesome. All right. And uh, I, I think it's in a good place to, to start sharing it and start getting some more beta testers and start really putting it through the ringers. Um, I've really received mostly positive feedback from the testers that I have, some critiquing of it, some useful feedback ideas, some of which I've actually incorporated. And uh, so I'd like to, to start getting a little bit more feedback on it, getting a few more people using it just to see how it holds up. And uh, I don't really have a timeline for when it launches aside from when it's ready. And I know that's a terrible answer, but like I said, I don't want it to be half-assed. I want it to be a good app when it goes out there. And I have a few business model ideas that I'm toying with, but I haven't decided yet. So I don't really want to talk about that publicly at all either. I, I have one more question I'd like to ask you though, before we before we call it uh, call it a show. Uh and I guess it comes back to something I alluded to at the beginning, and that is how it relates to... I see in your timeline, you listen to a lot of podcasts about programming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How many hours a week do you think you're listening to podcasts about programming, would you guesstimate? Oh, well, let's see. Most of them I listen to during my commute. So that's about an hour and a half each day times four to five days a week. And then, obviously, when I'm mowing, when I'm just working around the house, or a lot of the times, depending on what ac exercise I'm doing, I'll listen to a lot of them then. Probably at least 10 to 15 hours about programming. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. I think. I think. So, well, some of those shows are bi-weekly. Some of them release more than others. But, yeah, I really enjoy development podcasts. Cool. I, I just, I can't, I can't code as often as I'd like, and I don't have a job where I do it professionally, and so I kind of like to stay connected to it. And right now, while I'm really enthusiastic about Swift and really diving into that, I'm really 
interested in anything that 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 touches on that and talks about that and that's most of what i'm listening to these days are developer centric podcasts um some stuff about tv and stuff a few other assorted tech podcasts but mostly development shows i think are what are dominating my queue right now and i think that's probably what's dominating my my twitter timeline i don't I don't tweet them as often as I used to. I used to tweet every single podcast I listen to. A lot of the times if I'm just busy or it's an inconvenient time, I don't bother tweeting it anymore. I try to. There's a few podcasts that I like to kind of support. and I make sure that I tweet them out when I listen to them. That kind of stuff. Might get the app finished quicker if I didn't do quite as many podcasts. And I'm, I'm going to say that now because I'm sure somebody's going to say it at me. <laughs> just to wrap up, I um, just want to ask one last thing actually. And that is, what advice would you give somebody who's um, who's interested in in learning how to program for iOS? What would you where where would you suggest they start, and and how would, do you think they should what they should focus on? Um, well, the first thing is if you don't already have it, get a Mac because you can't do iOS development on Windows. Um, second is to just get some books, get some tutorials. Um, there's a lot of different resources online, some of them free, some of them that you pay for. I don't really recommend any of them that you pay for right up front initially. I mean, I'm a, perfectly fine with buying a book. I wouldn't sign up for anything with monthly memberships and stuff like that or even annual memberships initially at first. Um, get into the free stuff or maybe pick up an inexpensive book, you know, 50 bucks or less. To, to roll up your sleeves, start writing some code, get into it, some tutorials. There's a lot of free stuff. I mean, aside from the Mac, you can get into this completely free from the web. Um, just get in there, start learning, get some absolute beginner tutorials, roll up your sleeves, write some code. As soon as you get the the basic fundamentals under your belt, keep working on, on more intermediate tutorials and maybe even some advanced ones. But but start thinking about a project, that app that, that, that doesn't exist that you'd like to exist or that app that exists but isn't quite what you think it should be and your own version of it. For me personally, and I've heard from a lot of other people, I don't really think this is bad advice to say, you can you can follow tutorials and stuff all you want until you're blue in the face and you can learn a lot from them. But retention of that knowledge is, is kind of hard when you're strictly just doing tutorials. And you won't retain it. You won't really learn how to truly think about applying it and to, to structure your your code and your design patterns and your data structures and things like that. Pick a project that, that means a little bit to you, that you'll be enthusiastic about, and start working on it, even if you're not ready for it. Because having that goal will push you, and it will give you a motivation, and it keeps it from being repetitive, just like tutorials and stuff. I find having a project, and this is how I have so many projects that that have been abandoned and, and a broken string of app children uh-huh. along the way. But <laughs> pick a project that, that you're interested in and and do tutorials and stuff and seek out Stack Overflow yes. is a great resource. I don't necessarily advocate copy-paste coding by any means, although there is plenty of it out there. <laughs> um, you know, pick a project that, that would be an app that you'd like to exist or a better version of, of an app that does exist. And start trying to solve the problems of that project. And when you get stuck along the way, find a tutorial that's addressing some aspect of that or a similar implementation of it. Or go to 
Stack Overflow when you run into particular problems and look at other people's solutions. And even GitHub's a good place to find code. And a lot of that is open source and you can use it for free. And, you know, you just got to be careful with your, your license attributions and stuff. I'm kind of careful myself. I don't really like to import a lot of third-party code into my app. And in this app, there's currently nothing in it that I didn't write or that Apple didn't write. Um, and it's, it's not that I have anything against people doing that. But a lot of that times, you know, you've got this black box. And... The black box isn't so dangerous if it's not like a, a, a library that's been sealed up that you can't get into if it's open source and you can get to the code and you can understand the code that's in there or at least begin to understand the code that's in there so that when things don't work right, you can roll up your sleeves and you can try and troubleshoot it and you can try and fix it. Then I'm not necessarily against that. But if you go looking for a lot of black box solutions just because they can fix something that you don't know how to do and you don't understand... It may get your app or your project working right for that moment. But when you run into problems with it down the road or you outgrow what it can do for you down the road, you haven't done yourself any favors as far. Or, or there's an OS update and something in that framework breaks or, or causes other side effects. Then you haven't done yourself any favors by importing these massive libraries of code that you don't understand. And, and so try to, to judiciously export third-party libraries into your code favor the open source ones when you can actually get to the code versus the ones that are just a, a static library that's all sealed up and packaged and it's truly just a magic black box but you know just just start working on a project and and move toward your goal and if somewhere along the way you get disenchanted with that project and you lose interest in it, well, it's perfectly okay to hit file new and start a new Xcode project and start a new one. Hopefully you'll get some of these out, though, even if they're just free apps in the store and, and you can, you know, show your friends and family that you made them and maybe other people will like them too. But uh, it's a... I don't think anybody should... Unless you're going to school and you're getting a degree and you really want to do it as a profession... I don't think anybody should get into it thinking this is going to be the thing that changes their life and gets them rich quick at all. Because while that does happen to a few select few, it's really rare and it doesn't happen. Don't get into it thinking you're going to get rich in the app store. Um, get into it because you love coding, because you love programming. You have an analytical mindset. You love challenges of problem solving and things like that. Just do it for the love of the code more than anything do it for the love of the code and if you you got the love for the code and you've got a good project that stimulates you and challenges you then you'll probably never get bored with it and you'll have picked up at worst case scenario a great lifelong hobby and maybe possibly even could turn it into a lucrative side business or if you're one of the the lucky few then maybe you can actually turn it into a company and a business and and make a living solely off of it or maybe some of these endeavors could possibly get you a, a job somewhere else because, you know, it's GitHub and, and apps in the store for a developer. That's that's kind of a resume and a portfolio to show that you know what you're doing. Cool. Awesome. All righty. Well, thank you very much for sharing all that, Vic. And if you'd like to talk more about this, you can reach Vic on Twitter at VicHudson1 or you can follow Pragmatic Show to specifically see show announcements and other related stuff. Pragmatic is part of the Engineered Network and it also has an account at engineered underscore net that has announcements about the network and all of its shows and you can check them all out at engineered.network today.
People are really loving causality and analytical. They are solo podcasts that I do. Um, causality looks at cause and effect of major events in history and uh, analytical is, uh, well, just listen and you'll figure it out. If you like Pragmag, there's a good chance you'll like it too. Both of the shows are about 30 minutes each, so they're pretty easy on the ears and uh, they slot in nicely. So um, make sure you check those out. And um, if you'd like to send any feedback about the show or the network, then please use the feedback form on the website. And that's where you also find show notes about this episode. If you're enjoying Pragmatic and you want to support the show, you can like some of our backers, Brian, Ted, Virginia, and Chris Stone. He and many others are patrons of the show via Patreon. And you can find that at patreon.com slash John Chigi, or one word. If you'd like to contribute something, anything at all, it is all very much appreciated. So as always, a special thank you to our patrons and thank you to everyone else for listening. And of course, thank you, especially today for sharing um, all of that background and history and knowledge. Thank you so much, Vic. Thank you for having me, John. Sorry, everyone. Apologize. <laughs> I felt it was in order when I looked at the time. <laughs>